Welcome to Decision, Decision Space, Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions and games. And today in episode 151, we're going to be not doing a clip show. So you can stay right here. You don't need to just click it off right away. We're instead going to be thinking about what we've done with the show over the past 150 episodes, what what we've done well, what we want to improve on, and what we want to do next. So this is really an opportunity for Brendan and I to kind of hash that out live and give you the opportunity to listen in and hopefully join in the conversation after the show in our Discord. And I think this episode will be a little bit of reflecting on the past, a little bit of looking forward into what we might cover in the future, and a lot of talking about what Decision Space is right now, what it's evolved to be, and sort of where we see it going. Well said. Uh, which I think will be will be interesting fun. Oh, we also have a slew of listener comments. Uh, as you might know, if you've listened to some of our recent episodes, we made a call for folks to come into our Discord and answer the question, why do you listen to Decision Space? So yeah. we're going to include some of those in the show as well. And I think there might also just be some meta commentary about like what is the purpose of a board game reviewee podcast? Totally. You know, what can... And are we that... Yeah, right. Exactly. But like, you know, what is useful for people yeah. in our position with a small audience to be doing weekly talking about board games? Totally. Okay, so we're going to start with small questions like, what is the goal of the show? <laughs> what is decision space? What are you proud of? And where where do we want this to be? Or what do we want this to be going forward? Let's jump right into that. And I... Okay. I, mean, I like this first question. I don't know if this is something we ever even explicitly talked yeah. about. I think when I first approached you in going into episode one, I was thinking maybe I would just have like a rotating cast of guests, a new guest every week. And, you know, we would review a board game. And that was pretty much, you know, I think we I had a little bit of an idea that you fully helped flesh out that, you know, there'd be a decision focused lens to that. But I, I mean, it definitely started out as the goal of the show is to review board games, games potentially from a, a slightly different angle. But I'm not sure that's what we've exclu- certainly not what we've exclu- exclusively been doing over 150 episodes. And I don't think it's necessarily when people think of our show what they think of first. We started, you know, at the beginning. Board you game critics, right? Yeah, I think people think. Okay, my my idea, like, what is the goal of the show? If someone said, "What is what is Decision Space about?" I would say it's a it's a podcast project in which we're trying to learn something about the games every time we record. Yeah, yeah. Whether I think it's that, a game deep dive or casual conversation or whatever. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I would add to that because I I want to be explicit about the community, right? Mm. I think that as for whatever reason, whenever I start a podcast project like this, uh, the community of listeners is something that becomes equally important to me as the show itself. So I think a Mm. big goal of decision space for me is not just to learn about games, um, but it's, you know, to discuss games and those learnings with a way broader community uh, than just us. Mm-hmm. So I think a goal I have with Decision Space is just to just that, right? To grow the Decision Space community of listeners, of game players, so that we can have that kind of rich discussion after the discussion that we're having, you know, mostly live on air. <laughs> sure. So if, part, if one of the goals is to learn something every time we record, and another goal is to just have meaningful conversations about games the community that's built up around the show sort of facilitates and fosters this like deeper, meaningful conversation that oftentimes will start on the show or, or will start before the show and then just continues on. Because I think one goal of the show that we've sort of made explicit, even from, I think it was the third episode we did when we said it was decision space, what what we talk about, where we talked about, well, what, what, what is a decision space? What do we mean by decision space? And I think one of the things that we got into was that we wanted in the show to develop we wanted to develop our ability to think deeply about games and to communicate effectively about games, right? To have more nuanced language, more nuanced 
perspective in which to discuss games so we could better understand why they work, how they work. We could better understand why a certain game is fun, why a certain game is interesting, why a certain game makes, when you, when I play it, it makes me feel kind of sad. Even though maybe thematically it, it doesn't, it's not framed that way, but something mechanically is evoking this other sort of emotion. Because I think in some ways, when we started recording the show, I found a lot of game, there's a lot of amazing game related media and content in which people are trying to do this sort of same thing, right? They're trying to like develop language, even their own, to think about games better. But I, we felt there was even room to do that even more. And there are a lot of shows that I loved that I listened to a ton uh, before we started the show that I felt pretty inspired by to kind of carry the torch in some ways. So like Ludology, which actually, Jake, Ludology has been a podcast that's been around for a really long time. Uh, and recently I went back and I've been listening to like episode 60. I think they're on episode 400 or something now. Uh, <laughs> and I found it to be so interesting uh, going back because I've listened to like three or four episodes and so much of like, oh, how I'm approaching, how I approached wanting to talk on decision space and what where I wanted to kind of take our conversation sometimes was trying to just get at this these like ideas that they were exploring on that show. And we've had a lot of people come to us and say, oh, Ludology's, Ludology was like, well, well, we'll get into a comment that's going to come in a little bit. I think we need to tease out the rest of this. But save that in your mind, this like Ludology thing, uh, and maybe where that will come back. Yeah. The other goal I have, which is more selfish, I think, is just mm. that I want decision space to be something that remains fun and interesting yeah. for me. I, I think, you know, we've done 150 episodes. I'm really happy that we have, you know, a modest listenership, you know, somewhere in the in the realm of probably four, four to five thousand uh, downloads every couple of weeks, which yep. is really cool. But that's also not like, oh, this could be like imminently our job, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. numbers. And I think we, we do a aggressive, I would say, release schedule right trying to put out an episode every week occasionally we'll pass on a week for whatever reason um, like once or twice a year so far yeah like not often at yeah. all you know it's it's a ton and i think it's really important to me that it it remains as far from like work as possible and that's not to say that i have to love every single moment of editing the podcast for release or whatever um but I think there have been times where it's creeped in that we're sort of like covering a game just because like we have to get an episode out uh, or, or or whatever. And I think that's just something I want to be conscious of that like I want this podcast to be fun for me. And I think partially sticking to that goal is why our show has continued to evolve over mm -hmm. 150 episodes from just doing reviews because that very quickly became work-like and not yeah. fun and then it's just not going to be sustainable so i think the goal for me is to, that decision space is something that continues to be fun to make to work on to learn uh games through to talk to and communicate with other people as sort of like a medium to do that with and i think because of that goal decision space is something that is always going to be tied to my own gaming journey and life and the things that i'm interested in that's what I want to be continuing to talk about on the show and the things that you're interested in too, of course, sure, I'm not saying sure, sure. just me. So I think, yeah, I think that's going to remain an important goal for me moving forward. I think a huge part of what you just mentioned is sort of early on in decision space, right? We were doing two game reviews to every one other type of episode. So that was the pace. Two, how many, two reviews. What, how many game deep dives did we do that first year? It's like uh, over 30. It's oh, like 35 or crazy. Yeah. So that's more, yeah. More than two a month. And then last and we're, year... And we're playing all those games like a dozen times. Uh, yeah, each. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes last, way more. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah, dangerously more. <laughs> um, last year we covered around... 25 games i think and this year we covered around 20 yeah which to me fe feels sustainable and like a good pace is yeah. do you feel like we've kind of hit the sweet spot because partially for me too jake not just does it potentially become a slog but i never want to just sit here and be having a conversation about a game for the to go through the motions right like i want to talk about things i think are interesting with you and have a conversation about interesting things right and i think when we were covering 30 plus games sometimes we were thinking kind of similar things about a lot of the games often. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes the episodes even would start to blur together in a way that was like, let's yeah. put some space between us so we can like really let the games talk to us. Yeah, I think in hindsight is 2020, of course, 
but I wish we had had the presence of mind to not do so many of those games in that first year because yeah. the Space reason the reason it was possible is because a lot of those games didn't require any prep or maybe you know, or not nearly as much, right? I've already played Castles of Burgundy a hundred times, so I can pop on to a podcast at any moment and provide insights about that game that I've earned over time. Um, so when we started the show, you know, there are dozens of games that are sort of in that category where it just didn't take as much effort to cover because we already had one or both of us extensive histories with and those games are all have all run out (laughs) so any game uh that we're covering now is a game that is is we're playing maybe not for the first time but it's as if we're starting from square one with learning about the game and to get to a place where we feel like we are meeting that first goal of learning something through our conversation. It does require a lot of, you know, upfront yeah. cost and time spent with the game. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think also for me, we've talked a lot about games, which is so interesting and are like game deep dives, which in some ways I feel like we, one of the cool feedback loops of the show is we, we sort of, we go in and we explore decision space. We see what sort of, you know, new data we can get. And then we have a conversation about that game in that context. And then invariably we get to some idea that we want to explore more. And maybe it relates to an idea that already exists or it changes how we think about an idea that already exists. So then we have a broader conversation about that idea. And and then we go back and we play more games. And then we are with that lens kind of filtering it through the game. And I think that as we shift, one of the things that we know people love in the show and episode formats is our what we talk about episodes. And I think you and I both love those episodes and like making them a lot, but there's, and I always feel like I really want us to do more of these, but there's sort of a few factors that I think makes it hard. Some of which are like in our control and some of which are out of our control. One is they take a lot of prep. Yeah. Two, I think I feel a little bit more pressure with those episodes to not speak so off the cuff like when we're talking about like what is replayability in games, I really want someone who doesn't play games often to be able to come to that episode and listen to it and have a real sense for what people mean when they say a game's highly replayable or whatever. So I have a desire to not just be punching around in the dark, flailing in the dark, kind of finding our way. I want to sort of think through and have a real clear sense for what the way is. And, you know, sometimes we've done these episodes, like we talked about signposts, what, what we talk about, and we really... We got lost in that conversation and kind of meandered. This is like back in before episode 100 and eventually found our way to a really interesting discussion. Um, And those types of episodes can be good. But I think the ones that I feel like are the most useful are the ones where we have this like cohesive idea to lay out at the start, which puts a little bit more pressure on us. But I know listeners will say like, oh, just don't do that. Yeah. But it feels hard. I feel pressure well, not to. I, I think you can't force it in a way. Yeah. Like we can brute force our way into a review of any board game by playing it 10 times. Sure. And then it's like now we have 10 games worth of, you know, experience with that we can talk about. If it's, you know, about like coming to a new learning about what board games are, you can't really brute force it in the same way. And I also want to add with the what we talk about episodes, I think a lot of our discussion based episodes are, you know, I think in some ways the what we talk about episode is is kind of our stamp of approval of like, this is a must mm. listen to episode. Because yeah. sometimes we'll record an episode on a random discussion topic. And then we'll be like, is it should we like call this what we talk about or not? Yeah. And I so I think I don't know. I don't know what I mean by that, but I I think like there's a lot of nuance between the regular discussion episodes and the what we talk about and maybe the what we talk about are just the the best version, most distilled version of that. I think they're also just the episodes we've seen through just listener numbers, right? The number of downloads we get on certain episodes. So those are our most popular episodes overall. So I think they're our most shared episodes. The other thing about the what we talk about episodes is I think that just because of the number of downloads that they have, uh, we just see from our metrics and our data that they're our most popular episodes. So I feel like when you're saying they we need the, to give those episodes the stamp of approval. It's because we know the whole audience is going to listen in. And I think they're also, it feels like our most shared episodes. It's the episodes where people are most likely to say like, this is great. I'm going to take it to a group of game designers or a group of people who I play games with and share this episode with them. So we really want it to sort of live up to that high watermark that uh, that we've kind of set for ourselves in, in some ways. So maybe right. that's where part of the pressure comes from too. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. I think I was just going through our old episode of sort of paradigm shifting games. Mm. Right? I think that was one was like, we had a good conversation. Is it a what we talked about episode? Uh, we decided not. But like, could there be a what we talk about episode on like what makes a paradigm shifting game? I think there could be. And, so, and maybe have the conversation we didn't have. Like that episode was about our own paradigm shifting games. So maybe have the conversation of what are games that have shifted the par- like shifted the paradigm of games in within the board game hobby. Okay, can we talk about interview episodes too, or just episodes with guests slightly? Because this is another one where we hear from the, our audience. Oh, Brennan and Jake are great, but it'd be awesome to hear different voices on the show a little more often. And I think we feel the same way too. Let's see if I can name all the other people who have ever been on the show, okay? Okay. Maya, my wife has been on the show, Paul Solomon, Jamie Stegmeyer, Carly of Gnarly Carly Gaming, Alex Cutler. Uh, we did the episode on the Wolves development with Alex. Uh, and then CT Win. So that's six guests that we've had. And Aurora. Did you say Aurora. Aurora. And then also Jared. And Jared. Jared Ingersoll yeah. to talk about Kinesis. So we did have uh, a few more folks on the show this year, but eight guests over the course of three years is not an immense amount no it's not and i i think i said probably last year that i wanted to have more yeah, yeah. like diverse voices on the show and i it's not that i don't want that still but it's just i think partly it goes to our just frantic pace of yeah. making the show where it's just difficult to schedule with people yes and it's all like it feels like we're trying to like you know get them to like jump in a moving vehicle because we have to like if we want like a guest to come on and prep a show, that means like a we have to know three weeks out what <laughs> we're going to be <laughs> talking about. So that's already like a big bur- hurdle for us to jump over based on our normal schedule. Yeah. So then, like you know, getting them on board, knowing what we're going to be talking about when, and prepping that alongside something else, it just changes the way that we typically do the show. So the way we've had guests over the past 150 episodes has honestly been more of like oh no, like we don't have anything to like cover. Like, oh, Brendan's out this week so I can grab Paul and we can just talk about whatever, you know, or, you know, I'm gone so you can grab Jared or Maya to cover a game that you both know well yeah. uh, in Babylonia, which was awesome. And I think, I think it does still say a lot that people have really enjoyed those episodes. I know that Babylonia episode was really liked as, and so was the Kinesia deep dive, or not deep dive, Kinesia uh, hidden gems episode with jared a bunch of people popped in saying uh, they really liked awesome. that episode yeah so i think we should keep doing that you know like totally. i think it's a great way to get people involved also we're, we're used to the two voices banter having a third person in can kind of mess up the flow just a little bit i think yeah it's harder to know when you want to jump into the conversation and you sort of you don't want to disrupt someone else's pacing or flow but then also i find when it's just the two of us, Jake, we can almost make every point we want to make, right? Yeah. 60 minutes, we're just going to take the time to make our points. And sometimes when there's three people, I find myself a little bit more sort of being like, the conversation's moved on. My job here as a as one of the hosts of the show is to sort of make sure we stay on track and that it's good for our audience, which means sometimes just biting my tongue, yeah. which is fine. I'm happy to do that. But I will say it's more fun to get to make all of your points. Yeah, for sure. Just like conversations <laughs> in real life. You know, right, yeah, exactly. You're like, dang it. Now I... I had the great thing to say, but like, do I say like, let's just return to what we were talking about five minutes ago. Yeah. So, but I, I do like the idea of having more guests on. I think as we talk about kind of what we want to do with this show forward, we can think about how like different guests uh, and types of guests might fit in with that. And I loved the CT win episode. I would, it, I think it would be great to bring more folks on the show who have a real clear idea where they're looking for a platform to sort of discuss and, and talk about that idea. And that's not necessarily how it happened with CT Win. I think he published an awesome book on games and we read the book and then invited him to come on the show. Uh, so we, it wasn't that he was seeking us out, but we sought him out. And I think- No, we didn't all, even seek him out. A listener- Someone else sought him out for a, us. Yeah, yeah a yeah. listener like emailed on our behalf and like kind of got it going. So that was, you know- Different. <laughs> but I also, I will say, Jake- one thing I like reading game sort of theory books, game design books, uh, ludological books. So I have three books on my bedside table about games. And I think I would love to find room in the show to have conversations about those in a way that I'm not asking you to spend over 10 hours of your life reading a book. Uh, and also where we don't necessarily need to have the author come on. 
uh, on the show and talk about it, right? So sort of taking like, I spent some time reading Homo Ludens by Johan Huizinga. What is this book? Why did I read the book? And what are the takeaways, right? right. I think that might be interesting and fun, but I, I don't know. What do you think? Is there a format we can tease out there? Yeah, I, I have a hard time like committing to more book reviews on yeah, the I'm show. Not, I'm, to be clear, I'm not asking you to read the books. Yeah, because I think, A, I think that is niche content. Sure. Just like to make a larger point about the episode, when we ask people what their favorite episode is, people will often say a game deep, div- deep dive. Deep dive episode, yeah, yeah. Their favorite part of the show is our deep dive episodes, but also those same people skip episodes that they haven't played the game of right so that's kind of catch 22 the thread with those and i think that with a book you're got like a way smaller group of people that have read or are interested in reading it um so i'm not totally opposed to that i thought the ct win episode was awesome and in fact is the episode I most often like recommend to friends and family who aren't board game enthusiasts. They're like, what, what is this podcast you do? Just cause I think that's an accessible and interesting episode maybe to anyone, hopefully to anyone, but yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, no, I hear you. I think that what I'm hearing is in the feedback from you right now is that you should definitely not read less books, but we should just, whenever there's a topic, we should just pretend like it's not from a book. And then you can yeah, offhandedly if, mention the book. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, if learning comes from books and that gives you something interesting <laughs> to talk about on the show, <laughs> by learned. all means, let's do it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't there is we kind of tried a decision space book club a little bit. We have a book club channel in our Discord for for the, you know, three other people like you who are diving deep into these books. <laughs> Which I think is an awesome place for these kind of book specific discussions to live. But maybe I'm way off base and people are really interested in this. And if so, let us for sure let us know. I'd love to know that kind of feedback. Because I'm not opposed to reading. I read books, Brendan. Okay. If you're implying that I don't read books, I want you to know that I do. <laughs> rarely. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. You talked to me about you've talked to me about some of them. I also rare, rarely read books, but I just because I have a young child, but I aspire to keep to, yeah. to keep diving in. Having books, I can totally get behind. I've yeah, I have lots of books. Just <laughs> yeah. like I have lots of games. Yeah. Right. It's, it's actually getting those games to the table or the books between my hands that's the tricky part. Right. Yeah. What about the, okay, another episode type kind of like both of these that we both really enjoyed and I think both want to do more of, but have to do sparingly are the designer deep dives where we just talk about, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we did the uh, Kramer Kramer and Keesling deep dive. And I think that was really fun for both of us. I like the idea of doing that as like a once a year or like twice Mm, a year year thing where we, uh, because the reason that worked was because we had like already been kind of playing and exploring all their games. Kramer and Kiesling games prior to doing that. When we have our sort of production schedule of like a week, you know, it's it's difficult to be like, all right, this week we're just going to like cover Steffenfeld games yeah. uh, or, you know, Reiner Knizia games because they're not necessarily fresh in our mind. But if we decide, hey, this year we want to like dive really deep into Matt Gertz or Freedom and Frieza. Yeah. Then I think we should definitely. I think we should do that. I think we should pick a designer or two that, like, hey, we were going to like explore their games a little deeper this year with the show, uh, and then kind of plan that as sort of like a capstone episode of like this is what we learned about their how how this person designs decision space after totally. playing all their games. Yep. Awesome. Matt Leacock. All right. Yeah. All of Pandemic Legacies. <laughs> Pandemic <laughs> Legacy. Uh, one through three now? Just <laughs> yeah, like... I think so. And zero. Well, yeah, zero through okay, two. Okay, so there's four of them? <laughs> Woof. Yeah. <laughs> I think just three. Zero through two. No, but I think, I mean, Matt Leacock would be a totally interesting designer yeah. um, to, to yep. cover. And, I mean, and obviously there are tons of really interesting designer. I think it would be cool to do one that isn't a designer that we've already done Played a ton a of their of, games. Yeah. Like, a, like Steffenfeld or... Uh, Reiner Knizia come to mind as people that we've already just like taught, done so much, or maybe that means we could just kind of like do their those episodes as like more of an ad hoc thing. I because, well, I definitely think we could do one of those episodes on Knizia or Feld with yeah, less than two weeks of prep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I, but I don't think we should pick them for this year. Agreed. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see. It might be easy. 
Yeah. No, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, like, I'm not saying we shouldn't do the episode. I'm saying we shouldn't pick one of those two as like the designer. We're gonna like go in depth and explore gotcha. so that we can do the episode. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we've played enough of them. We yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. to cogn- consciously seek them out. But I do think, like, if we wanted to do Matt, Matt Gertz, a reasonable goal, you know, we've played some of his games would be let's try to cover Concordia on the show and let's try to cover cover Navigador on the show or something because those are two games that we could play digitally. Yeah, and then try to cover his games on him on the show or something. Yeah. And that would be a really focused episode because a lot of his games share a pretty similar, like the Rondell is so present in this game. So I think it'd be an interesting conversation. You yeah. can talk about transatlantic. I can talk about how I don't like it. And then we'll, be, we'll just close the episode. Have okay. you played transatlantic? Yeah. With you, you just, you slaughtered me every time we played it. We didn't it cover like, it on the show. Did we? We're like, no. pretty, we're basically at the point of decision space where it's like, did we cover that on the show? <laughs> you, you were like, maybe we should cover transatlantic. And I was like, let's play it. And then I was like, I don't know, but I go back to it. I try it more. It's I been st- a while. Yeah. That game is like a hidden gem. Hidden you think gem so? alert. I love that game. Okay. Still, I still play it a lot. One minute, one minute. Why do you love Transatlantic? So it's Concordia without the board. It's like the hand management system of Concordia implemented in like a pretty clean way where you're just buying like ships ships and putting them. It's like, it's basically Concordia meets like, I don't know, some kind of like lane battler in some way. Mm. Lane battler is not right, but you basically just have lanes that you put ships in and voila. It's, I think it's a clean implementation. You get to really dig deep into that like hand management, which is for me the fun of Concordia anyway. So like the pacing and flow. Okay. Yeah. Should we go to listener comments here? Yeah, let's go to listener comments. And then at the end, we'll talk about like what we want to do next year. Okay. Or should we do that now? Because I feel like we haven't really dove deep yet in talking about like what do we want to do on the show? I think forward. we should talk about what people enjoy about it, the show. We should incorporate... Then- we should incorporate the listeners' the feedback yeah. <laughs> yeah, before yeah. we make decisions. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's do it. Yeah, let's get into it. And let's start, we haven't done this in a while, with a new review uh, that a kind listener just left about decision space. And they titled this review, Ludology for the Players, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Wait, Deci- it's a callback. Hey, yeah, we talked about this earlier. (laughs) Decision Space is my favorite board game podcast going right now, where the Ludology podcast digs into the details of a game's design from the perspective of the designer. Decision Space, with their deep dive episodes, does the same from the player's perspective. The format feels really unique and engaging. Jake and Brendan are fun together and have good insights, even when I outright disagree with their takes. See challengers. Decision Knot, and it's from Decision Knot and infrequent guest host, Paul Solomon. Thanks, Paul, for the review. Yeah, thank you so much, Paul. Also, wait, Jake, Paul doesn't like challengers? I guess not. He's spicy. I know. He's played it at least a couple of times, and I think he is like undefeated. So, oh, wow. That's that's such a Paul move. Win a game and then be like, oh, not great. That's great. But Paul, thank you so much for the kind words. And we definitely have to have you back on the show in 2024. We got to cover, I think we should cover Gizmos. And if Paul wants to talk about another Phil Walker hurting you. Yeah, maybe so. I need to maybe Maybe one. so, Jake. Jake with a big endorsement of his desire <laughs> to jump into Gizmos. Okay. <laughs> I played a couple of times. It didn't do much for me, but I, I probably haven't given it a full fair shake. So it's not, not opposed. It's no Imhotep. Not opposed to Gizmos as a, a deep dive topic. We'll keep, let's keep that on the front burner. Okay. So then the co- the question that we asked folks for, why do you listen to Decision Space? Paul kind of laid it out and in a way responded to this question. Uh, but we asked folks, why do you listen to Decision Space? So we're going to read out some of them. Uh, Henry says, in-depth conversations about board games from a mechanical perspective reminds me of the early days of the Ludology podcast. Thank you, Henry. That's like high praise for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, should we just go back and forth on these? Or yeah. Should we... Okay. And look, if, do, you want, if, do you want to do two, 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 two? Okay. Oh, sure. If things jump out, we can respond to them too. Okay. Matt says, my primary reasoning for listening is the individual deep dive episodes. Those games are typically available to play online and they're a good mix of classic and newer games. It's hard for me to enjoy the podcasts that talk about the games I haven't experienced. Additionally, I have grown to enjoy your other podcast formats, what we talk about, etc. because now it's great to experience this journey with you and participate in the community. Yeah, that's great. 
Um, Matt is one of the absolute sharks in our Discord community. Just be afraid if, if you hop in a game with him. Um, but yeah, I think that is is awesome just to call out the community like that as sort of being a part of then what makes listening to the show more valuable. Sarul says, two, two friends nerd out about board games and you get to join in on the fun with their great community. And Carcassonne Hater, this is a Discord handle, <laughs> says... I gotta say, I love this podcast because as one of my favorite running bits where Jake intentionally mispronounces things, that's my fave. Yeah, totally intentional. (laughs) (laughs) Aside from that, I love the podcast and the community because it helps me structure my brain and gives me the language to express the vibes around a game. That's a really unique and special tool I can't get anywhere else. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I do think it's interesting, Jake, because I think some of these comments, right, people who are in our Discord community are might be a little more biased to mention the community aspect itself. Good so in point. some ways, I, I want to know, like, what are the people who didn't take the time, who are in the Discord, what are, what would their reason for listening be and how would it align? Yeah, Which they can let say, us know in the Discord. Sure, or by, yeah, <laughs> or, by, <laughs> yeah. or by email <laughs> at decisionspa at gmail.com. Or even leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That's right. And put it in the text, and then we'll read it out on the show. Okay, Jim D says, the podcast is so good that I write a page of notes after each episode of Thoughts to Follow Up On. I also like the chemistry of the host and appreciate the fact that many of the times I mentally interrupt to complain they don't mention X, that they do mention X a few minutes later. Also, my teenage son thinks I'm too old to be listening to a board game podcast and interacting on Discord. He's often right about these things, but not this time. He's accepted it, but still finds it cringe. Again, that was Jim D. Jim, thank you so much for that. It's your turn again. Two, two, oh, yeah, two, two, two. two, two. Sorry. Two, two, two. Uh, William says, Decision Space is a breath of fresh air in my podcast feed. Brendan and Jake consistently deliver thought-provoking material and a new lens through which I can analyze this hobby. I consider the members of this community friends and love the dialogue that precipitates from each episode. Luke says, I listen to Decision Space out of obligation. I think that's a joke because he's in the Laughing Table Friends, my Monday night (laughs) game night group. But he says, but seriously, he hit us with a but seriously. Even if I hadn't met Jake through our gaming group this year, I'd still listen for the generally joyful, thoughtful discussion of board games. Games and gaming never sounds like it feels like a chore or obligation to y'all, and it shows that y'all love the hobby deeply. Even when y'all don't like a game, looking at you, Memoir 44 and Downforce, y'all still take the time to dig into what doesn't work in a way that feels measured and considered. Plus, the variety of formats keeps everything about the show fresh in a way other podcasts generally don't. I'm grateful I got to experience it when I did, and I'm so happy that there's more to come. And lastly, Indoor says, Decision Space hosts with great chemistry, good podcasting voices, and a great hook in coming at games from a Decision Space perspective. My favorite episodes are deep dives of games in general, or I already know, and the analytical what we think of talk about episodes. I feel like the latter are still a little more rare these days, but the more welcome for it. I am beyond flattered to hear that Ender thinks we have good podcasting voices. I think anyone who records a podcast always sits around, and I don't have to do do the heavy lifting on this because Jake edits the show. I do our notes. Jake edits the show. Jake has to listen to himself talk every week ad nauseum, which I, I think would be a horrifyingly painful process. But to hear someone actually say they think we have good podcasting voices, especially Ender, it just means a lot. So I'm thrilled to hear that. It really does mean a lot. And I, I would not have said that about myself at all. Um, but hey, at least it's pleasing voices to some. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. And I also, I do think that I, I'm glad that like Luke and Ender and some others have called out this sort of like joyful, joyful vibe that we tend to have. I think you and I are sort of in agreement that there's enough... We want to be critical and we want to be thoughtful, but we also just kind of want to focus on like having fun. Like there's so much you can learn, but there's also just like, I don't know, I want to come share joy about the things that we're doing. I generally, even when I don't, there's so like, even when you play a game and if you, because we're making the show, play it 10, 12 times, I feel like there's always like, I'm still playing a game. Like that's still, there's still something fun about that. There's still a lot to learn. I think games are just so, so much like this, I don't know, panacea to 
my grumpiness that it's just nice to be able to come on and talk about that and have some of the joy of just like getting to play a game. Like, oh my gosh, yes, a break. Even though it's voluntarily taking on, you know, obstacles so I might overcome them still just brings me, it's just fun. I don't know. I think that's something hopefully that is coming out of the fact that we're trying to make it a priority that we're having fun with the yeah. show. Yeah. I think if, if it became something that felt more like work than probably that like joyful uh, attitude or whatever factor that's part of the show wouldn't come through as much. I also think, you know, all things have to be measured. And that's where you kind of get into one of these tricky things about doing a show on board games. That's probably worth talking about now, which is that you you're incentivized to be positive about games so much more so than the opposite uh right because not really us we don't get review copies we probably could if we made that an emphasis and asked for them from folks but you know if you do at least in i don't think all publishers but certainly i think there's some kind of pressure whether it's self-imposed or not that if you give a poor review you're less likely to get you know, future review copies from a publisher. Uh, And also people tend to like not like that as much. Uh, I find that when we are critical of a game, we get a lot more negative comments in our Discord about the show and, you know, why we don't understand it fully than when we do positive reviews. You know, people tend to just say, at least least that's kind of the impression I get. So it feels like there are like these incentives around Mm. being positive Positive. all the time i will say it's rare that i would like read or interact with a piece of media and then go if i and then dislike it and then go spend more of my time trying to think about it by listening to like a podcast or a youtube right right? like it i it's just less likely that i'm going to engage with that sort of thing right exactly uh whereas if you've like purchased something with your own money and then you go on a show and they're telling you that that thing that you invested time and money into isn't as good that's yeah. <laughs> naturally gonna like rub you the wrong way drive people to comment and respond more so yeah i don't know so i think when i think about this also what is often and, and i think like importantly becoming part of the conversation uh, around board game media now is like overlapping relationships with publishers mm-hmm. which we are not immune from ourselves for of sure course, right especially not, no no ab- like absolutely and in in some ways and like and it's not lost on me right that as a designer who wants to go out and get games published making a show in which we're like reviewing games is a precarious position to put yourself in but in some right. ways, I just can't help myself. Like, I just want to talk about games with you and I want to make a show. So for better or worse, I'll just go on the record talking about things people make and hope that they don't get too upset, right? Because in some ways, the whole goal too is just like, it's better for your games to be talked about than not. Right. Almost always, you know. 100%. But it would make it difficult to go to, I don't know, restoration game. Oh, we think this would fit in a long Great other games like Downforce. They're like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and so yeah, you have published games with a couple of companies, right? What Pandasaurus most recently yep. with Unrest, uh, was Calliope it? Games, Calliope with Enchanted Plumes. Yep. Uh, I have just a network of friends in St. Louis that are in the board game industry and even had my own little mini expansion for Rolling Realms put out by Stonemaier Games. Jamie's a good friend of mine. Paul Solomon is doing development at Elf Creek Games now, also a friend of the show. So, you know, we're fully entangled in relationships with people uh, that I have no interest at all in, you know, distancing those relationships like in service of some kind of like impossible standard of being completely unbiased on this show. Um, And I want to, uh, I think we'll talk about this more in just a second, but I've been getting more interested and spending more of my hobby time doing game design myself. And so I, a big goal, personal goal of mine is to get a board game signed uh, in 2024 uh, so that's something I want to spend a lot more time doing as well, which means I'll be reaching out and communicating with a bunch of other publishers too, hopefully. And I do think though that I want to be really clear that we'll always be transparent about that when we do have existing relationships with people we cover on the show, right? In in one way or the other, and we'll yeah. do our best to be really upfront. 
And we've yeah, kind of, uh, frankly, in some ways, at times, maybe avoided games that we might be interested in covering somewhat because we we want to be upfront and clear about our bias and maybe avoid bias situations, which, you know, for better or worse. Yeah, I and I, I think that's worth talking about too as we're thinking about the future of our show. We've basically just embargoed all Stonemeyer games because of like Jamie being a close friend of mine. I don't know if that like is really doing us a service at yeah. this point anymore, uh, especially as, you know, that was three years ago when we started this show and that was like my only connection, connection. and we wanted yeah. to have him on the show and it felt weird to just be like, okay, and now we're like reviewing their games when we hadn't reviewed all that many, but I'm not sure it still makes sense, especially as like now I have other gaming connections like Pandasaurus is a big publisher. Are we not going to public cover any of their games moving forward now that you've yeah. been published by them? I don't, I don't know. I don't think I mean, so. Yeah. I don't think so either. And also, you know, not for nothing, but like Matt said, Inder said, I like to listen to the what we talk about episodes for games that I know. Not even necessarily games that I love, but games that I know and have played. And Wingspan is an incredibly popular, well-known game that I think would be an entry point for our show for a lot of people who might not often listen to and could actually be an episode that we point people towards. I've never played Scythe. People have lots of thoughts and feelings and opinions on Scythe. I think the art looks really cool and I'd love to to see the game and experience this the system. I think the the objective system in the game around earning stars and the sort of sandboxy nature of objectives might make for an interesting conversation uh, around objectives and games that could be neat. Um, and then, you know, I don't know. There's there's also the Wolves is a is a popular Pandasaurus game that came out that does some unique and interesting things recently that we talked a little bit on the show but didn't deep dive. It's now available to play on Board Game Arena. It's an alpha, uh, but maybe that's a game we might cover one day. I, I don't know. I'm putting Wingspan on my want to cover in 2024 list, which we'll end this episode with. Um, I agree. I I think if, if if it makes sense to you that I think our editorial standard should be just being as transparent as possible about the biases we have. But at this point, like having this kind of like unofficial official embargo on Stonemeyer games feels like something a little different. silly. It feels a little silly, and also like holding. Why are we holding Stonemeyer to a different standard? Sure. than other companies that we're now developing different kind of relationships with. And also like I think another factor here too is that we're still not real like we're still not getting we're definitely a hundred percent not getting paid by anybody <laughs> to like, you know, cover their game. So there's not like money changing hands here. And we don't do exclusively like reviews and previews of new yeah. games, right? We're definitely not known for, you know, releasing an episode on a game before the game comes out or even within the six months after it came out. So, yeah, I, I would yeah. say the average. Well, if you had to guess, Jake, I have no idea what the actual number is, but what would you think is the average amount of time in whatever metric you want that has elapsed between when we cover a game on the show and when it was released? Five years. Guess, yeah, that was my guess. I was going to guess five years too. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. things like can't stop, you know, pull the average out. But. And that's something we didn't talk about with the goal of the show. And this is something that you brought to it, really, uh, and, and have prioritized is like this desire for game, for the deep dives and really every episode we do to be evergreen in mm, some yeah. ex to some extent. And I think if you want to do deep dives that are going to be evergreen, it makes sense to cover games that have lasted the, at least that much time i did ask you recently if you played backgammon <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i played it i played it let's let's do it but then we'll get more and more we'll keep getting more go requests if we do that <laughs> it's like dipping our toes into dangerous waters yeah my i i tried it and i lost lost a couple nails <laughs> wait oh Wait, I did my nose into the dangerous waters and I lost a couple of nails. <laughs> like, what are Wait, you I went with your metaphor. <laughs> piranhas, man. That's what, that's what, <laughs> <laughs> the piranhas. Okay. What, let's talk a little bit more about what we want to do more in 2024. So okay. I think that's a transition to it. So we're already decided one thing. We're going to continue to be as clear as we can about where our biases lie and just be as honest with the audience and ourselves uh, about them. But we're not going to necessarily embargo 
publisher relationships from being games that we talk about and feature on the show. And then, okay, more of what we want to do. One thing I love that we did on the show this year, Jake, is when we are sort of mini cycle of episodes on replayability. So we we covered some game that we found was really replayable. Re- replayable. I think it was Torres. And then we did an episode on the games we had most replayed as an exploratory conversation to see what we could learn about replayability in games. Then we did a what we talk about on replayability in games. And I felt yeah. like that was a really interesting way to sort of structure the the sort of broader arc and conversation because it, t- it took away some of the pressure of needing to have everything figured out. And we could have that more casual conversation first, say in two weeks, we're going to do a what we talk about. So I might want to at some point do an arc like that on trick-taking games, right? Like cover yeah. a trick-taking game on the show, then have a, an exploratory conversation on like, what do we learn about decisions like exploratory conversation on trick-taking games, then do the trick-taking games what we talk about or something, you know? What I love about this is we talk about how you can't brute force the what we talk about episodes. And Brennan's like, well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But I I like that because I think it does make sense. Like, you know, let's say we cover Wingspan, then we could do our top five favorite engine building games. right? And then we've been talking about engine building for two weeks. Like we would have something to say, I think, about, you know, the decision space of engine building games uh, in general. I think that'd be a great way to do it. I I think think we should explore that for sure. I think the nice thing about it too, Jake, is like within those replayability episodes, we ended up in the first exploratory conversation being pretty specific about a few games where we talked about the decision space of those games more directly. And then in the What We Talk About episode, we were a little bit more general. Obviously, we still dug into examples. But I think sometimes in the What We Talk About episodes, we want to talk more about individual games, but feel like we want to keep it a little bit more general. So it would leave room for both types of conversations about a topic in a way that I think I found really refreshing to have the conversation. And usually if we're having, you know, if we feel it's a refreshing conversation for us to have, the listeners feel it's a refreshing conversation to listen to. Yeah. So one thing I want to do more on this show is like more episodes about explicitly about board game design. Mm. It gets a little bit (laughs) tricky because on one hand, like as Paul pointed out in our comment, like in some sense, the episodes we're doing now already work as like board game design learning and takeaways. Yeah. We should probably say at this point, we found out a week ago that Cardboard Edison. Oh, just, yeah. They announced, they decided that Decision Space in 2023, they awarded us the best uh, board game design podcast, which was amazing, like incredibly humbling to find uh, find out that they uh, decided we were worthy of that honor. It means a ton to us. It's the biggest honor we've ever won as a show. We've been nominated for Golden Geek, but never kind of won anything. So, I mean, that, you know, you can't, I can't really explain like how meaningful that is that we're putting something out there that people are finding value in. So I don't want to change what we're doing that's working for game design community now, but I want to, I guess, lean into that. You know, it seems like a lot of times people who do pop into our Discord are there because they're game designers so i want to build out our the game design kind of wing of our discord right now we have a section where people can like post about their work in pot in their works in progress their works in progress uh as like its own thread and share updates people can talk about that i could see like a decision space game jam type of mm, thing being yeah. something uh that wouldn't be too incredibly difficult to pull off. So I want to do more game design content. Maybe it's not explicitly on the show, but I just think, you know, going back to like the goal of the show, like in some sense, decision space is naturally always going to reflect my own journey and interest with games. And as I'm foreseeing myself spending more time, more game nights uh, doing game design type stuff, I want the show to reflect that. I think it'll be helpful for me as a new game designer to sort of uh, put my thoughts down as I'm, you know, talking with publishers, hopefully, as I'm like working on prototypes. And I think that other people might find value in kind of like going along on that journey in sort of a transparent way too. So I don't know exactly what that would look like, but it's definitely something I think I want to do. And I, I think people should expect more of in the year to come. No, absolutely. And I'm always happy to have game design conversations. And secretly from the start, 
Jake was like, let's, let's do a podcast about reviewing games. Do you want to come on? I was like, yeah, I want to come on. And I want to come on every week. And I want to have game design conversations, but I'm going to just pretend that they're about reviewing games or about talking about concepts in games, right? Like, So I think in some ways, it's just about making the shifting the lens to be more explicitly about a, how do you approach this problem from a design perspective, right? Like, yeah. How do you actually design replayability into a game? could be an added little micro conversation that we have following one of those arcs where we talk about replayability in games. And maybe it's something like the top three ways to add interesting replayability from a decision perspective in your games. And then also Jake, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, it's been really interesting as I've sort of set out and like been more intentional, spending more time designing games. I didn't, you know, like actively think about game design over the course of these 150 conversations. I mean, in a couple of instances I did, but I feel like the takeaways have definitely informed the decisions mm. that I've made with game design and actually yeah. just completely changed my mindset around what game design is from, I think in the, I would always get stuck initially in sort of this like mindset of to, well, first I started, I was like, okay, I want to be a game designer. So I'm going to like pick a theme I like and then create a game out of it. That was like my first step. And I was like, okay, well, that doesn't really work because it's the mechanics that are kind of really what's focused, like what I should be focused on. So then I wanted to be like a mechanics first game designer. And that always felt like I had that doesn't to work either. I yeah. had to like invent deck building, right? It's oh, like, sure. Oh, yeah. All the good mechanics are taken. Like, and I don't think I'm the type of person that's just going to pull the next like genius mechanic out of my hat, right out out of the back of my head somewhere. Um, So that didn't work either. But doing this show, when I sort of sat down last year and I was like, I really want to try and come up with a game. Like I was able to do it from a decision space focused way where I took a game that I liked and I knew how the decision space worked. And then I tweaked that. Right. Where I was mm-hmm. like, okay, what if this same decision space exis- existed, uh, you know, same mechanics, but instead the decision space was more open uh, mm-hmm. or there was less clarity in the decision space? And how would that change it? And I felt like that really gave me tools that I could tease apart uh, and actually like use in a practical way, which I hadn't had before. And, you know, I just kind of like found them like, oh, I've always had these since I've been doing this conversation. So I think there's a lot of useful stuff there that I'm just kind of scratching the surface of that I want to talk with you about and see if we can't uh, kind of repackage some of our decision space learning into like tools for game designers. Sounds awesome. I can't wait. I think that sounds really fun. The final thing maybe before, and then we should pivot to talking about games is Ender suggested maybe covering like decision spaces in two player games or in three player games specifically uh, alongside a couple other things. But I think that would be really interesting. I'd love to do a, what we talk about about two player games or dual games. So I think those decision spaces tend to be the type of ways in which you can interact with the other player are so much more open typically. And like oftentimes in multiplayer games, there's real restraints on either this is a hyper interactive game or it's a pretty solitaire game. There's not a lot of room for in between typically because it's much more difficult to balance something like that, or at least, I mean, there's room for it, but it's maybe a little harder to do really well. And I think it'd be interesting to look at, okay, so what a what do two player what a, what about a two player decision space? feels different and maybe even talk about as a case like pick a case study game like key flower at two players versus key flower at four players what are the differences and what does that teach us about decision spaces overall we don't have to pick key flower jake we could pick something no i think i think that's a great idea i've been sort of one of the episode concepts i have been kicking around for a while sort of waiting for a week that you're predisposed or something i want to have the whole laughing table friends mm. group on and i talk about game groups well so i maybe talk about game groups but also talk about like have everybody pick their from that group which is my monday night game group that's exactly five people by design we picked five people so that you know if somebody can't make it we still have enough but we never have to split into two groups so anyway because of that choice we've become experts at five player games nice because when i so i think that'd be a fun a fun group to explore five players maybe more surface level than what you're talking about but having the laughing table friends all on which would be crazy and chaotic and maybe have everybody pick their favorite five player game or their favorite game to play with the other people in that group yeah it sounds awesome yeah i think that'd be fun 
so yeah, I like that idea. And I also think cooperative games is mm-hmm. are, are like completely different decision spaces. Um, that, that we really haven't covered on the we show. We have hardly covered any co-ops. So I think, you know. Spirit Island is the only one, I think. Yeah. So I think there's opportunities to do that and also solo games. That was a 2022 goal that didn't happen. But, yeah. Or 2023. But maybe we can do it in 2024. I think I think that like, I, not that like this is going to be a solo game podcast, but I'd like to do one. Yeah. It feels like something we should do like one a year. And whether that's like a multiplayer game that can be played solo or a true uh, or, solo game or a yeah. true solo game. I think I think that would be worth exploring. Yep. I think we would learn a lot about multiplayer games just from covering a solo game for sure. And also designing them because every every game needs to have a solo module. Totally. This is true. I, I will actually say games having solo modules does help them get sold. I know that like maybe that's not some huge revelation, but I wish I had designed a solo mode for for Enchanted Plumes in the box. Because there's so many people. I, I made an official solo version that I posted to BGG after the fact. And that game is as beloved by the solo community as it is by people who play it multiplayer. It's wow. it's amazing. But I, I just wish that I had realized, like, oh, got to get this in the box out of the out of the gate. Yeah. Should we so talk, to about- talk well, I, I Just to add on to that, uh, I know Jamie Stegmeier at Stonemeyer Games, they only publish games that games, can be played yeah. at one. and. And I, the reason for that is they do like a year end survey and I, I can't remember the number exactly. So don't quote me on it, but it's something like 20% of their audience plays either exclusively or mostly at one player. Wow. So it was, it was, it was enough that, you know, Jamie basically said like, well, then all of our games are going to be ne- playable at that player count. Yep. That's amazing. 20% is huge. Well, don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay. okay. It, could be more. About- it could be way more. <laughs> 50%. So there's three games, Jake, that we know we're covering on the show in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's That's- end the episode by talking about just some games that we that think would be fun to deep dive. Yeah. So we maybe know we can, we're- Maybe we can get consensus and decide for sure. That'd be cool. We okay. know we're covering Takes a Ride. Yes. We know we're covering Planet Unknown. Yeah. And because our patrons voted for it, we know we're covering Food Chain Magnate. <laughs> just kidding. We gotta do it. We gotta we do have, it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got a whole year. <laughs> <laughs> and we might have to have another Patreon vote before we get to Food Chain yeah. the TBD. Yeah. So, Jake, what are some other games that you'd like to cover on the show? Well, one of the game that's maybe been like the biggest revelation for me this year in 2023 has been Nokosu Dice. This has quickly mm. become my favorite trick-taking game. I think it would be an awesome game to cover because I think it is a decision space that's truly unlike any other that I've played. Obviously, it's one that can be difficult to track down, but it's also one that's like you could prototype it pretty easily. Um, so I think Nokosu Dice... And then leading into just an exploration of trick takers. This is obviously mm. a genre that's like growing in popularity. And I, I have a local, an expert that's local to me that I know would be a, a listener of the show that I know would be delighted to, to come on and talk about it. And I think it'd be super fun to have uh, my friend Pete on to kind of give us the lowdown on what trick takers are good and more importantly, what trick takers even are. Nice. Awesome. I really, Jake, I, at some point last year, wrote notes to cover the resistance on decision space. So there's a whole document that already exists. And for whatever reason, we just, we didn't get around to it. There are extenuating circumstances, but I think it'd be really fun to talk about social, a social deduction game. I don't think there's a better place to start than a game like the resistance that really strips things down and lays bare the decisions in the game and what you're actually doing. Uh, so I'd love to have a conversation about something like that. It's a much more psychological game than when we tip, that we've historically covered on the show. And I think I would love for us in games we cover on the show as much as we can to find games that we can cover that allow us to take our format and take our lenses and apply it to a different type of game to get into some of the more the other experiences that you can have playing games uh, that are awesome. Uh, and that are that are great that aren't just strategy euros that take between 45 and 60 minutes to play or whatever you know yeah we absolutely have to do this i'm gonna i I feel like the only reason we haven't covered the resistance is because every time we are like well let's do the resistance this week i'm like i just need to go like play it one One more time again because i haven't played it in years even if i've played it a ton in my life and i just haven't done that yet so i want to play the game to have like that fresh experience with it again before covering it on the show but yeah let's definitely do 
do that. That sounds great. Another game. So I mentioned solo games earlier. I think Arkham Horror LCG or which is not all exclusively solo, but it's one I've played solo. Uh, so maybe this is more cooperative than solo. Arkham Horror LCG, I think would be super fun. I don't know how it'd be possible for you to cover it. So maybe that's something I cover with somebody else, unless you want to just like invest time to learn it, which we could, you know, use Patreon funds for that's, we haven't talked about that, but as now that we're like officially out of being in debt to our show, we'll start like getting positive amounts of money that we could invest in games that we just want to cover that aren't, you know, easily available online. So yeah, potentially that could be a fun one. And I think Eon's End is one mm. that I really enjoyed in sort of the deck building cooperatives uh, space that we could play solo or cooperative. And that's just one box, so it might be easier to get played. Um, so I think those two come to mind for me as sort of like, to your point of taking our format and applying it to a space that as of yet, we have not really done any kind of credit to on our show. Another game that falls into that category for me, Jake, is word games. We've never covered word games. And I think there's a really interesting thing that word games do that I want to talk about on the show that I'm not going to get into right now. But I wonder if there's room for us to cover something like Paperback Adventures that's available in a digital implementation. Uh, It's a very celebrated system coming off of, uh, this is Tim Fowers' Paperback System, which it's a deck building word game. Uh, But in this version, it's sort of a solo mode where you're playing against uh, enemies, trying to spell words that do damage against them and progress on in sort of a, a roguelite type format, which could be cool. Do you have any interest in that one? I, I think like I think just because of the fact that I have like sort of like apprehension about word games is exactly why it might be interesting to, to cover. cover one. Yeah. Cause yeah, like I just think like ugh, I don't I don't want to play Scrabble whenever somebody's like, let's play a word game. Uh and I have probably not done any kind of credit to the type of decision space and thinking about the decision space that they offer. So I would be up for a word game, especially one that's like easy to to play and get played. I was thinking I've, I started my My Island campaign over the holiday break, and I just have nice. thoughts about it already. I've played uh, the first two chapters, so six games of it. I don't know if we want to do like a whole deep dive on a game that's so similar to a game we already covered, or maybe there's like an episode in there about like follow up games hmm. and like how that changes things. Or even this is taking that thought on a different track, but I was thinking about this earlier in the episode. So I want to add it in now when I said, I wish we had like spaced out our, those games we covered early on. Potentially there's also episodes worth doing of taking a game that we covered three years ago and revisiting it. Like we could, I don't want to maybe, maybe it's too much effort to like re-listen to that episode uh, or maybe, um, but anyway, I think like my Island slash do we just like cover Castles of Burgundy again? What would that be like? Sure. <laughs> I have like ideas going forward. Yeah. I definitely have new things to say about Keyflower whenever okay. we're ready to revisit <laughs> okay, it. Okay, great. <laughs> Actually, I don't want to do this idea. <laughs> great. <laughs> so I want to kind of bang out that my next one's really yeah, quickly. Yeah, bang them out. Okay, so I really would love to play more Matt Gertz games. So I'm interested. I know you're not like a massive Concordia fan. I'm interested in that game and Navigador. I think playing those games they both have digital implementations might be interesting and fun i've i want to cover more kinesia just because i think his games are endlessly fascinating and interesting so i jokingly we've covered zubatis a lot on the show but i think it'd be fun to try to cover a negotiation game and then we both own and enjoy raw i think that's one people should expect at some point in the upcoming year i think we can get raw covered on the show yeah yeah and i think zubatis would definitely be interesting 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 yeah Yeah. let's see i I put wingspan on my list just because like hey let's maybe we can cover this game i think that would be worthwhile to do just for like audience expansion if nothing else and just the fact that like to to all of our listeners they like it when we play games that they're familiar with and you know so many people are familiar with this game that like it feels worth it to give it the decision space treatment after all this time and the last thing i want to say is like what about video game crossover episodes an idea was floated in our discord about i guess deck builder games like slay the spire uh, or i think there's a game called monster train that's like a video game that also works as like a roguelike deck building game but it's a video game um there's another uh kind of push your luck game that plays in the exact same space called dicey dungeons i think these are all games that for that are video games but 
have like board game decision spaces almost exclusively. So maybe this is like a bonus episode thing. I don't know, but it might have you played Slay the Spire? Yeah. Oh yeah. I I okay, love Slay the Spire. Let's just say let's cover Slay the Spire on the show in twenty twenty four. Yeah. We did we did a Marvel Snap, right? So we, yeah. it wouldn't be totally new. And then yeah, I also put pinball question mark because I have recently become like absolutely obsessed with playing pinball games on my switch. And it's just a really interesting, it's like a dexterity game, but there is like a little bit of decision space happening there. I don't know. Maybe this is just like a recommendation for like pinball. Like, what? Like when do you use your extra bo- Like So like in pinball, each table has like a different set of rules. So yeah. just like different things to be like aiming for mm. uh, different, like, I guess kind of like paths through the game. Okay. Where, yeah, I don't want to like get too in the weeds, but there's there's different tables in each of them. Like I find the more I play them, I get, I'm not as much getting better at like executing because it's like reaction time, right? Uh, it's kind of the same, but I'm get, I get better and better scores because I'm like learning more about how to like attack the table. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Pinball. Probably not. Not again that jumps to the forefront when you think of decisions, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> okay. I also, Jake, I am mildly interested. I, I This is another game you don't love, so I'm sorry to mention games you don't love, but we, like, we haven't had a ton of conversations around drafting games, and I think Bunny Kingdom and Seven Wonders are both drafting games that are easily to play online and different enough. There might be an interesting sort of arc of episodes where we talk about one or both of those games and then talk about decisions and drafting games overall that could be really fun and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I mean, I I like, I like the idea of covering drafting games as like an arc for sure. Uh, We didn't cover uh, it's a wonderful world. Did we, or did we we? didn't? That's another one. That is another one. That That is a drafting game. <laughs> okay, finally, the one other game that I that just popped into my head recently. When I first started playing board games, like modern board games, a lot more, sort of gr- game that I knew was too heavy that I was always interested in, but wouldn't be able to get to the table and play was Through the Ages. This is a Vlada Shavadal civilization er, story of civilization game that's pr- pretty heavy and takes three or four hours to play on the table, but has digital implementations that we could play. I think it's very, a lot of my sense, even though I've not played or learned the game, is that a lot of the design decisions have sort of fallen out of favor, which I think would be really interesting to cover a game like this. We like that. Yeah, like I'm intrigued. (laughs) I want to play it. I don't hear people talk about Through the Ages quite as much as they once did, but I I don't know. It's there. It, It seems like maybe there's no better time than the present. Outdated game design? Sign me up, dude. (laughs) (laughs) no that's awesome yeah that would be fun uh i think i want to look at what implementations are out there because i think i'm more i'm just not really typically that interested in playing like app games against the computer ai yeah for whatever reason that just like loses a lot of the joy of playing but it's on bga it's on bga too so like maybe maybe do some Async or something and yeah. give it a, give it a spin. Totally cool, awesome. Well, I think that's it, Brendan. I think that brings us to the end of this hundred and fifty first episode, uh, which I think we should call our show. What we talk about? <laughs> you think this reaches that level? I don't know. It's pretty good, dude. It was pretty good. It was pretty okay. good. We'll talk about it. But we'll thank you all so much for listening. Uh, and uh, as always, we want to thank Hembry for our intro and outro song. Reach out and you can find more decision space at decisionspacepodcast.com or join us in the conversation in our discord bye, bye. 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 bye.